Today's reading is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. It can be found on page 638 of the Bibles next to your seat, as well as will be up on the screen. This is God's word. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Our great God, as we hear these words... They may be familiar to many of us, more familiar than other parts of the Bible. And yet as we come to them, as we walk into this room, we're coming from so many different places on the spiritual spectrum, so many places with relation to you. Some of us find ourselves in times of our life where uh, you have never been more real. We have in our lives what Christians have called your Holy Spirit, and what Jesus called your Holy Spirit that has helped us have faith and that has made you come alive in our lives. And others of us, we we have nothing like that going on right now in our lives. Maybe we have pain and struggle. Maybe we have great doubts and intellectual questions and things that make believing in you just not credible right now for us. And we come from all these places, and the thing that, if we're honest, the thing we all have in common is that we're more of a mess than we care to admit to anyone here. And thankfully, God, you continue over and over again in in the stories of Scripture to show us that you see that brokenness and fragmentation in our life, in our lives, and your response is to move towards us with grace, love, mercy, and to move yourself into our messy and broken world so that our relationship with you can be restored. And so wherever we find ourselves, would you make that love, that grace, that mercy real to us now through your Holy Spirit? Be a part of what's happening here so that we walk away knowing we met you and we met your grace through Jesus the Lord. Amen. 
we're talking about this passage, which we've looked at for, I think, three weeks already. And it's Isaiah chapter 9, and we're looking at different parts of it. And today we look at the part that talks about this Messiah, this son, the child who's born as king. And we're expanding our kingdom imagination. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know what the Christmas season has done for your imagination this year. If, if anything about Advent or Christmas time has captured your imagination this year, um, I, I remember one of the first memories I have about how how Christmas time does this to us. Very little, and and I was went to a Christmas party that was a company Christmas party of of my friend's dad. So we go to this big company Christmas party. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I had never done this, didn't know anything about this, this huge banquet hall with tables and dinner. And then there's on a throne up in the front in the middle, Santa. He was there. I mean, he was, he was there at the Christmas party. And we all lined up and I was just doing what I was told. We lined up and I didn't know what was going to happen. I, was, I remember feeling very unsure and, and, and a little bit terrified. And when I got to the front, the way I handled that was I just listened very carefully to the, what the, the kid in front of me said. And so that, you know, everybody got their turn on Santa's lap and then grab a gift and you go back um, and have dinner. And I heard the kid say, you know, I want like a G.I. Joe hovercraft or something. I think literally that might have been what it was. And so I just got up on Santa's lap and I said the same thing, you know, and I just kind of pushed through that. But what an interesting way that Christmas plays with our imagination and takes us into strange places. And I, I realize, I mean, not surprisingly, I realize that around the world, Christmas isn't um, imagined exactly the same. This week in the New York Times, there's this article about uh, Christmas time in, in Barcelona. So this is what Lisa, ben, Lisa Aben says. It was Christmas season in Barcelona, but in, inside the city hall, a 14th century palace, a scene from the Arabian Nights was playing out. Palm trees and satin cushions had turned the Gothic patio into a desert tent, complete with incense and Middle Eastern music. Pages clad in pantaloons and velvet-trimmed turbans led each child to the Moorish throne of the royal mailman and the bulging satchel he, he would use to convey their petition petitions to the three kings. So you catch, I mean, it, it feels kind of similar to my experience growing up, but then you got the, the three kings and the royal mailman. Um, it sounds actually a little more like a, a biblical Christmas, right? With the three kings are the ones who bring you the gifts and all this kind of thing. Anyway, just different ways that we play with imagination during this season. And when you look at Isaiah chapter 9, what it's trying to do, along with so many aspects of the Bible, so many places in Scripture, where they're, it's attempting with these images of the, the, the son who's on the throne of David, and the government is on his shoulders, and there's this kingdom that will uphold justice and righteousness, and there will be no end, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. With these images of kingdom, the Bible's inviting us to have a kingdom imagination. And I just want to do three simple things. I want to apply this to different places we might find ourselves. Let's just think about what it means to, to lean into the kingdom imagination this holiday season or in all of life, to lean into a framework that has at its center, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean for the new member, you know, such as the folks standing up here today? What does it mean for the veteran church member? And what does it mean for the future church member. 
So first, the new member. Um, let, me, let me try to get us imagining a couple of things here. Anybody remember the TV show Cheers? Anybody, yeah, you're old enough to remember that show. It was before Seinfeld. It was BS. I think that officially is what it is. Um, well, I mean, the, the show resonates so so well with so many things just by the, the jingle at the beginning of the show. You know, a, you want to be uh, in a place where everybody knows your name, right? And you can just hear, if you used to watch it, you can hear that jingle going right after those words, where everybody knows your name. So I want you to imagine... Maybe it's not too hard. Maybe you have a place like this. Maybe um, you have a living room of someone's house, maybe a parent's, maybe your own, a place where you are known, where it's easy to be you, where it's comfortable, where it's cozy. Can you imagine? Are you imagining at all what that place is and what that's like? What you, what you do is you just kind of you know, kick off your shoes and you just kind of sprawl out, and you don't have to worry about anything. You can be yourself. You know, we have these places in their life, and they're good places. And the reason they feel so good is because it's all about, if you think about whatever place you thought of, it's probably good because it's all good from your perspective. It's all about you. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, imagine a different kind of place. Imagine a palace. I got a chance of, several years ago to go to England and to visit uh, Buckingham Palace and then to go and get a tour of, of Windsor Castle. And uh, I had no experience of anything like this uh, before, but when I walked in, it was very different from that kind of cozy sort of experience. It was very good. It was very uh, intriguing, and I was, but it was more along the lines of being in awe um, and being uh, grabbed by the importance of weighty things throughout history, of seeing uh, artwork on the wall that rep represented all kinds of um, things about history, seeing the architecture, seeing the way the buildings were made, and seeing just how ancient they were, and the sense of permanence and importance that went along with that. It was, it was a great place to be. It was really interesting. It led me to think, though, not about... It wasn't great because it was about me. It was great because I was... I was kind of taken into this whole, well, this whole story and this whole awe-inspiring uh, presence of the royal family, right? That's what the history of this royal family, the royal ones. Now, you know, I also had the experience of kind of British culture and seeing that the royal family, kind of what they've become and how they're just sort of pop sensation sort of people to, to follow gossip, col gossip columns about. So some of the awe gets lost, right? But when you see all these ancient articles of war and peace and art and all the value and all the importance and the grandeur, um, it's pretty amazing. Now, to enter into, to be a new member and to enter into the, the Christian church and to, to bring Jesus the King into the center of your life has to involve getting past some of the it's all about me cozy factor and walking in even walking into church and church things with some of that sense of awe there is and not you know maybe you grew up with a little bit of church experience of of um, um, how do I say it sort of dry reverence unlively stuffiness <laughs> not that kind of 
awe. I'm talking a sense that there is truly, we believe there really is a king and that king is Lord of more than we ever imagined from north, south, east to west, farther than we can imagine. This king is up to so much business and he's tenacious about progress in ways we can't even imagine. To become a member of a church is to walk in to, to worship into small groups, into serving in the city, into inviting your friends with that kind of sense of awe and expectancy, not about just what you see, but about the king. Because you've walked into the realm of, really of the kingdom agents, the servants who are up to his business. Um, And if you begin to picture that reality, you begin to bring some of that awe and really readiness to see how God is at work in so many ways. Then you begin to see how, the, how Christians throughout, you know, since Jesus' time on, really grabbed hold of this word servant. What does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be, why do we use that word? What does a servant do? Well, if you get some sense of awe of the king, then you have a picture of what a servant is that might look Well, let's just talk in practical terms what that looks like. It means, like in any kingdom, that your unique, well, any good kingdom, like your unique gifts that you bring into the kingdom are appreciated and needed and on call, really, for the king's plans, not just your plans, the king's plans. Um, Another specific is that just like servants in um, any sort of earthly kingdom, what is really valued and celebrated are creative commitments and creative offerings that are brought to the king. You know, not, not the becoming a, a member of this, this part of this kingdom of God. It's not the sort of calculated, religious, minimalistic tribute bringing before the throne. I've calculated what part of my life can go to you and what part. It's not about a community or a kingdom like that. It's about... Uh, gratuitous, expressive, creative commitments being made to a king that we're all just in awe of. You should see some of that. You should sense some of that in the community of the servants of Jesus. And a third thing for new members is that your humility in the church is the most logical thing that could possibly happen. Because you know that as you approach the throne, as you approach the king, that... Uh, you have had really maybe you some of you maybe are a little bit upset that I put the cozy imagery aside. Well, let me bring it back in, because when you walk into the palace of the great king, as you sense the awe and the greatness and the amazing power, you also are drawn in by the forgiveness and by the fact that the Lord calls you and says, "I know you're, I know you're small, I know you're insignificant, but I cared enough to come down to earth to rescue you and to get you into my palace." See over here, there's a chair with your name on it. Everybody knows your name up here too. And so, if you have that experience of the forgiveness of God, of the undeserved grace and your name on your chair in the presence of this king, then how could you how could you not be humble? How could you hold a grudge? How could you not forgive those in your own life? Humility should be the most natural thing of these kinds of servants of this king. So that's perhaps what it's like to lean into a new imagination as a new member. Uh, let me just uh, hit two things quickly here, the last two points. What about the veteran member? 
and what about the future member? Um, I like to refer to a Tom Petty song when I think about the, the veteran members. I don't know if you've heard uh, on, on his Wildflowers album the song, It's Good to Be King, It's Good to Be King, uh, To Have Your Own Way, A Feeling of Peace at the End of the Day. And then he's got this bridge where he says, Can I help it if I uh, still dream some time, time to time? Can I help it if I have some place in my mind where I go time to time? Um, that's, you know what? I want to use those words to talk about being a veteran member, the problem of a veteran member, myself included. In many ways, as you settle into a Christian life, um, you want to have your own way. Um, it's often what begins to happen is you, you think that you could do a better job of managing things and that you're no longer completely satisfied with Christ the King uh, being enough for some situation in your life or some relationship that you're dealing with. In some ways, the cynicism can creep in and you know better than others and you might even know better than God. This is what I would call the veteran member disease. It's the disease that... that Jonah had, if you know the Bible a little bit, as Jonah sees God's grace going to this whole new people that have never known who God was. And Jonah is this person from you know the, the Israelites. He's one of God's people. In fact, he's sent as a prophet. He's, he's the veteran churchgoer, you know, and he's sent to these, these non-churchgoing folks, these people who don't know God. And in the end, what he does is he stands up over on a high place and looks down on the city, and he's angry at God's mercy on them and he's waiting for he's hoping fire comes down out of the sky I mean this is Jonah this is a veteran member of God's people Um, if you think New Testament you go to the parable of the prodigal son where there's the elder brother who's always been around the farm and never left and at the end of the story same thing as with Jonah Um, the challenge is basically brought to this elder brother hey you're standing outside of the party of grace that's in there and you're angry too you know, are you going to enter in? Are you going to come in and be a part of this grace? Um, so what do you do? Well, I would say, do what often happens in the lives of servants of the king. Do something, if you're in this kind of place, you wonder, am I, am I kind of got veteran member disease? Do something that you maybe don't want to do. Do something uh, that you've become a little bit cynical about. Pray prayers that are bold and open-ended in areas of your life that you've thought for a long time that you know better than God or his people. Carve out time maybe for a discipline that focuses less on yourself. Um, Do something like give more or sign up for something or intentionally befriend someone that's going to pose some challenges to your life and to your journey. Do Do something that's beneath you. And if you came up with something right there when I said that, then definitely that applies to you. If there's something beneath you, do it. Just do it. Because servants of a king often find themselves doing not necessarily what they would choose to do. Because the king knows better for them. The king knows best what's good for you. All right, and then last, the future member. This is just really quick. Let me just say, maybe you even, if you're in the kind of place where a membership Sunday and and all this talk about being a member in Christ the King, it's not where you find yourself today. Um, you might even take offense to me calling you a future member. <laughs> and point well taken. Uh, but I do that on purpose. I choose those words carefully because, in a sense, how will you ever know that you can't wear something if you haven't tried it on? Will you just try on the idea that, that Christ, this baby in a manger that this whole season seems to keep hinting at, 
that there's something there that you haven't quite caught. There's something about Jesus and meeting Jesus that you haven't quite figured out. Will you just spend some time putting yourself in the midst of all those things and trying to figure it out? Trying to see if if you can discover what it will speak to you about this Jesus or what it won't. Um, Little, I'll admit, this is a self-interested plug. In January, we have this series that we're going to go through five weeks in a row called Meeting Jesus. What do people learn as they meet Jesus in the New Testament? What are things we learn as we look at different encounters, five different ones with Jesus? Hey, New Year's resolution, if you're in this kind of place where you're figuring out Jesus, make the resolution. Come every week. Come five weeks in a row and just embed yourself amidst this whole idea of who Jesus is. Maybe you'll come out the other side of it finally figuring out what the big deal is that all these people come and they actually sing about this one. Emmanuel, God with us, the king. The king in a manger also sits on David's throne. Come, explore, figure it out. Let's pray. God, wherever we find yourself, may you bless us with humility. Bless all of us with a sense that um, you know better than us what we need, where our lives are going, and that you've met us right in the middle of our world through your son, Jesus. Help us to take steps that we find difficult to to take. Help us to perhaps hit the pause button on things that we just seem to always bring to the table when we think about you. Help us to, to set things aside so that we can get to know you better. We pray that you do this in our hearts and in this church through the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.